0: Hey friends, Authorized returns for season two on January 6th with Batman and Robin by Michael Jan Friedman. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we usually spiritedly read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. You are currently listening to the first Authorized bonus episode, uh, the goal of which was, is there a way that we could have the fun of recording an episode about a movie without the crushing homework of reading an entire novel? Uh, When I put this question to the group, what could we do a bonus episode about that didn't require us to read a book? Hannah suggested the movie, The Jane Austen Book Club. Um, Hannah, what brought you to that decision?
1: Uh, Well, I thought we're essentially a book club. We started out as a book club and then we started releasing, you know, recordings. Um, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to talk about a movie that's doing what we're doing? Or just about the act of reading books in general. And the first one that came to mind was the Jane Austen Book Club, which I had never seen. So we really left in feet first.
0: I've i uh, I've become totally obsessed with this idea. I texted you about it pretty immediately, which is uh, we are so stringently dedicated to books that... Even when we make an episode that's just about a movie, the idea that it must also be a movie about books tickles me to no end. It also opens us up to doing such a wide and strange swath of movies. <laughs> so obviously as and I don't say obviously in a in a negative way at all because I I look forward to this episode uh, very much so. obviously book club will happen.
1: A masterpiece of a film I can't wait to discuss.
0: But also, we could do things along the lines of The Book Thief, or Eat, Pray, Love, or Spiral from The Book of Saw. (laughs) Yes. Now, we can't actually do that last one because spoilers for Spiral, there is no book. It's like a turn of phrase.
1: I was genuinely really excited. (laughs) (laughs) I thought
0: that was a movie you refused to watch.
1: I mean, I haven't watched it because it seems icky and scary, and then everyone said it wasn't very good, and I was like, phew, I dodged a bullet. But if we were all going to talk about it, I would watch it for us, you know, for this.
0: <laughs> it's That movie is basically, like, everything narratively is super disappointing, but the tr- the uh, saw traps are disgusting like way too disgusting so they take it I over don't the
1: like top about that
0: it's the worst of of every aspect of the franchise yeah okay well um,
1: thankfully there's no book in it so we won't have to re-watch
0: there it. is no bo- oh should i do my 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 saw joke oh my
1: god yes okay <laughs> i just want to preface by saying andrew sent me a voice memo of this joke and i like fell over laughing in my home well
0: i sent it to the group chat like i have a great joke about Spiral from the Book of Saw but it's a giant spoiler so I can't say it and then you and Andrew were like send it to me <laughs> and so I sent two separate voice memos you have different takes <laughs> um, so anyway the the ninth Saw movie is is entitled Spiral from the Book of Saw uh, of course Jigsaw the Jigsaw killer from the first eight movies or really just the first three movies um, he um you know it was all about leaving cassettes behind and videotapes behind to make sure that the saw killings continued forever and so of course the title made me think oh he will have a physical book and it'll be a book you open up and it says torture my old dentist or whatever <laughs> but the twist spoilers for spiral if you haven't seen spiral and you want to see it. I mean, that person doesn't exist. The person who really wants to see it, but didn't. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, it the big twist is that Jigsaw is not involved at all in the plot. The guy who's doing the murders is doing it because he hates cops, which is cool. Uh, so knowing that, it totally transforms the title from, oh, Jigsaw's got a book, to this tongue-in-cheek like spiral and let me tell you this is straight out of the book of saw <laughs> you know i know all the uh the listeners who came for the
2: great discussion on the jane Austen book club are really loving we're first few getting to it <laughs> <laughs>
1: What um, is the Jane Austen book club, if not straight out of a book of Saw?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. well, I don't mean and, that. Yeah, don't mean it was that. the first entry. And oh. Hannah, that's the that's the potential second beat to the joke <laughs> I've been working on, is you can also label movies that are just twisted as colon from the book of Saw. <laughs> the Passion of the Christ from the book of Saw.
1: <laughs> Jane Austen book club. Is a little bit
0: twisted. It's a little bit twisted. All right, oh, let me jump back stuff. into this intro okay. here. Okay. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> us- our usual intro, we're authorized novelizations, blah, blah, blah. But this time, we're talking about a movie. Movies are harrowing, unflinching looks at how the surface happiness of the modern American is pulsing right below our sightline with rivulets of deep trauma and loneliness. They are odes to how hobbies, be they book clubs or otherwise, are our one salve against a completely nauseating world. Furthermore, movies are a medium in which it is impossible to keep characters' names straight. They are populated by wealthy white women whose names are a swirling morass of Prudies and Jocelines that no human mind could dream keep track of. And floating above them all, the one constant to hold on to, a tiny man Called Grig, Grig, a name that cannot be forgotten, as it is said one billion times and gives everyone the appearance of having a Kiwi accent. For this one lone name, Grig, Grig, movies are Grig's medium. Grig, we are your hosts, a loose coalition of the Jane Austen book club enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby.
1: I'm Hannah Blackman.
0: And I'm Andrew Grigg.
1: <laughs> I can't get over Greg. The Jane Austen Book Club is a 2007 romantic drama slash some stars would tell you it's a comedy, but it ain't. Directed by Robin Swickard. It is based on the 2004 novel by Karen J. Fowler. The film chronicles how several women create a book club on the works of Jane Austen, many of them with the express purpose of using the club as an escape from or a solution to their personal struggles. They invite one man into their fold, the titular Greg, which provides both an audience surrogate and recontextualizes the social and romantic dynamics of the group. By the end of Austen's works, for these people, situations change, or their perspectives change, or...
0: who is robin swickard robin swickard was born in columbia south carolina she was an avid writer as a child later in life she picked writing back up after graduating from florida state university swickard wrote two plays for a friend's theater company after one of her plays that she had written she was approached by an agent who asked her if she had considered writing for film which by the way just the absolute dream Like, I'm not saying she didn't put blood, sweat, and tears into these plays, but she wrote two, and then someone said, hey, you want a big Hollywood life? And she was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Her directorial debut was the 1993 short film, The Red Coat, for which she also wrote the screenplay. The film was about her grandmother and uh, starred Bridget Fonda. Uh, Her feature-length debut is the film that we're covering today, The Jane Austen Book Club. Uh, Swickard also wrote, uh, the screenplays for Little Women and Matilda. She wrote Matilda with her husband, uh, Nicholas Kazan, who of course, uh, help me with pronunciation here, uh, famous semi-disgraced figure, uh, is it Elia Kazan?
1: Yeah.
0: Or, or Elias? Is it, is the S pronounced? I've never known this.
1: I don't think, I think it's Elia Kazan.
0: Cool. Okay. Was that controversial that I said semi-disgraced?
1: Well, it depends on your, you know, opinion towards uh, McCarthyism. So if you're super pro-McCarthy, then you probably <laughs> wouldn't call him disgraced.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, I, I personally don't think it's awesome what he did, I guess <laughs> is what I'm saying.
1: No, same. Agreed.
0: Uh So anyway, she married that guy's son and they wrote Matilda together. So really, when you think about it, a pretty happy ending to the whole McCarthyism
1: thing. Yeah, we got the Jane Austen book club out of it, and Matilda.
0: Uh, Robin Swickard is also the uh, mother of Zoe Kazan and Maya Kazan. And the mother-in-law of Paul Dano, that means.
1: Yeah, we can't forget Dano.
0: I didn't realize that he and Zoe married. I thought they were just an eternal couple. Wow. I think they're eternally married. In the eyes of someone
1: the common law at least
0: Th- that's like a top five celebrity couple for me
1: one time i saw paul dano trip over a curb in cobble hill <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with with uh with what sort of flair i mean i can't imagine I mean, that guy doing anything was, boringly
1: it was pretty small actually he did, it was a very very small little like trip and he like looked around to see if anybody had seen it and then continued on and i was like i saw it Paul dano. <laughs>
0: Uh, So I know what's the question on the tip of everyone's tongue, which is what are book
1: clubs?
0: (laughs) Book club is, of course, a uh, colloquialism. Book discussion clubs are a group of people who meet to discuss a book or books that they have read and express their opinions, likes, dislikes, and more. It is often, this is, I'm like ripping straight from the Wikipedia page of this one, and I love this line. It is more often called simply a book club, a term that is also used to describe a book sales club, which can cause confusion.
1: I've never heard of a book sales club.
0: The Wikipedia page is just wrong. No one would be like, ah, yes, a book sales club. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the history of book clubs. Uh, So, though women had formed Bible study groups since the 1600s, it wasn't until the late 1700s that secular reading circles emerged in both America and Europe. Reading circles were not limited to particular races or classes, with one of the first reading groups for black women being formed in Massachusetts in 1827. Throughout the 1800s, women's reading circles expanded, with some becoming outspoken on social issues such as abolition. Well into the 1900s, book clubs continued to serve as both an intellectual outlet and a radical political tool. So this is something I wasn't really aware of, which is that book clubs have always had a political history and they've always been very tied to the uh, sort of uh, I'm not sure how to say this correctly, but the sort of identity, the political identity of womanhood. Is that Makes sense.
1: Well, I mean, when we think about things that women were like allowed to do together for so much time, you know, it's like sewing circles, uh, butter churning circles, you know, it's a very limiting um, way. Butter churning circles? Yeah. That's a real thing. Well, I don't know. You know, you go to places where you're farming and you and your fellow women, uh, you know, you're making butter and butter churning takes a long time. (laughs) So you sit around and you do it together and you chat and you tell stories and you talk about whatever. Same with a sewing circle, same with, you know, knitting. And so book clubs feel like a natural extension of that space where it's just you and your gals, and you get to actually talk about the things you want to talk about without some man being like, excuse me, girls, you don't know anything about that. So for that then to expand into like a political discussion, you know, a social issues discussion and then to say like, well, here we all are, let's do something makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that the reason it struck me so much as well is because the DNA of that is very apparent in the movie The Jane Austen Book Club, which is about using a book club to sort of, like, shore up pieces of your I- identity or or, or or your standing.
1: Yeah, um, give yourself something to do during a hard time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so much more eloquently put than, than what I just said. So there are a couple different kinds of book clubs, and I will stop talking about book clubs in just a moment. Um, there are, of course, single-title clubs, which is what we think of most of the time, which is where everyone reads one book at the same time and then comes together and talks about it. I'm only bringing up multi-title clubs because I don't know how they work, and I was hoping you guys could clear it up for me. So the... According to Wikipedia, the characteristics of a multi-title club are such that each member may be reading different titles from each other at any given time, and they may share a reading list for a period of time. What distinguishes this from any group of unrelated people reading different things from each other, which is just like a library where no one knows each other, (laughs) is that each title is expected to be read by the next member in a serial fashion. I just don't understand that Mm. sentence. What does that mean?
1: I guess it means that by the time you get together to talk about the books, you're talking about three or four books in tandem. You can say, like, oh, it was interesting how, like, this piece of theme, you know, reappeared in this book from a later period that we also read, uh, would be my guess.
2: Interesting. Yeah, it seems a little overly complex. I would imagine, I cannot imagine a book recommendation club where you come in and say, hey, I just read The Lord of the Rings and it was nifty. (laughs) And someone else says, well, I read 1984. Uh, but I can't imagine the kind of complexity of telephone that is this passing it on, reading scenario. Well, I scenario think it's sort describing. of like
1: if I may bring us to the movie at hand. It's a little bit like what Greg is trying. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm gonna. That name is just like it's not a first name. It's no. For anyone
0: name. who hasn't seen the it. movie, it's there's literally a character whose name is G R I G G, and and is this his last name or his first name? It's it's gotta be his first name.
1: The way they refer to him, it feels like his first.
2: Name. But his sisters, I, we're getting way ahead of this. He has sisters who have seemingly normal names. Yeah,
1: Cat and like.
0: There's like a Brenda or
1: something. Has, yeah, and his name is Greg. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know a family where there's like a Mike, a Stephanie, and a Farnham. So it happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. Okay. Ooh, okay, I can do this. But the way in, w- in which Greg is trying to bring Ursula Le Guin into Jocelyn's reading orbit to say, like, oh, if you like this, you may also like this. And then we can talk about both of them, you know, in conversation. And she, you know, refuses to do it until she does do it um, right like that might be right. a multi a multi-book reading club yeah yes
0: totally i i i just feel like it it must lead to the situation that comes up in the movie where you go oh i read this did you read the thing you were gonna read and they go no
1: well that's just on jocelyn being rude I mean, at any point, she could say, like, I'm really only capable of reading one book at a time, Greg, and, like, I will get to them, I promise. But instead, she's just like, no, I'm not interested in your dumb books.
0: Now, Hannah, you were reading a lot before this podcast began, yes? Yes, yeah. I, I was I'm, in I'm a sort reader. of a, a lull, and I, I and Same. I have found that the the novelizations have really kicked me back into gear. I'm, like, reading more intellectual things much quicker and internalizing them better than I was like four months ago. I'm noticing. Andrew, what did you think of the Jane Austen book club? Oh, uh, which I
2: believe is based off a book. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, you know, I went in and I expected to see something, you know, some, a light fair, something I may have watched on a rainy summer night 15 years ago. And I was sort of just taken with how, well, one, just kind of odd this movie is. Beyond the... There, there, there are parts of it that are cookie-cutter, exactly what you expect from sort of a romantic comedy, for lack of a better word. But then it takes some very odd, very dark turns. And, you know, I was sort of on board the entire time. Uh, I really enjoyed... A lot of the arcs of the characters i enjoyed the performances you know it's an eclectic cast and i'm sure we'll get into them but yeah i just i thought it was fun and you know i'm a i'm a greg stan i'm a Grig.
1: <laughs> how could you not be Grig Apologist. Grig is like a star greg has everything
2: andrew what about you what did you think of the movie
0: i was enraptured by it in a way that i did not expect to be uh i i so Uh, you know, I touched upon this in the intro, but just the barest premise is that these women come together to form a book club. They're all going through interpersonal issues, almost completely all romantic. Uh, And they are either trying to find a romantic partner through this book club. So the one um, character played by Maria Bello is trying to set Grig up with and I cannot remember any of the characters' names. Oh, I wrote them down, and I made their relationships. On a what movie. is what is the name of the woman that Maria Bello is trying to set Grig up with?
2: She's trying to set Sylvia. her up with Sylvia.
1: I had no Amy trouble Brennan, with
2: the name. Yeah. I don't okay. Know what that and says Sylvia about you guys, has just. But I did not
1: have a problem with the names. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, so Andrew Sylvia is married to whoever Jimmy Smith is playing. Daniel. Anna's
1: all over uh, this I- movie. Didn't find
2: it hard. And, and <laughs> Daniel has revealed. I mean, so the the ins- I think we need to go through this movie beat by okay. beat because it's a little weird. It starts with a seemingly unrelated montage of people just starting their days in Sacramento. You know, they got to fill up gas. They're having trouble with the.
1: Everybody's on their cell phones.
2: Yeah, everyone's having a tough day. They're not connecting. They're dealing with things, and we quickly learn that. Maria Bello's character, Jocelyn, uh, is a dog lover uh, because everyone's going to a funeral and it's quickly revealed that the funeral is for her beloved dog. And that's when we meet all of our characters who, aside from Greg, Greg. we don't yet meet Greg, uh, who are going to be part of this book club. And so, we have Jocelyn, who's the grieving dog owner. We have Sylvia, who at the top of the movie is married to Daniel, played by Jimmy Smith, they have a daughter, Allegra, Maggie Grace. There, oh, uh, and then there's Bernadette, who I knew from Edward Scissorhands. I hadn't seen her in anything else before. Who's sort of like the, I don't know, what would you? She's 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 had many husbands, many lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she does yoga. Uh, and that's where we begin the movie. That's our our core team. We don't get Grig or Prudy until a little bit later into the piece just to set that up for everyone.
1: I watched this movie today with former guest Patrick. And at the end, he said, how is, is this what your book club is like? You know, having only <laughs> glancingly been exposed to it. And I was like, oh yes, the Andrews and I are Sylvia, Jocelyn and Bernadette. That's <laughs> us.
2: I know. I mean, Andrew and I, there's so much sexual tension and Hannah just doesn't know who to set up with
0: who it's. <laughs> Wait, if, which of us is like mourning a marriage? <laughs> uh,
1: I I thought it was Marco who's going same. through a big life change, not a breakup yeah. necessarily, but moving and going through a whole thing.
2: Sure, I I would happily be Amy Brennan I'm
1: an over B. You're just like our fun, settled, exciting. Oh, long- I'm
0: I'm <laughs> the I'm the the hippie aunt.
1: <laughs> oh, are you not? No, you're no. no I'll take dog. it. Oh, I love okay. it.
0: <laughs> then who's Jocelyn? Hannah, I was just very shook by that when I watched Jurassic Park and you said, uh, Andrew, if you if you watch this movie cynically, I'll never forgive you. And I was like, does Hannah think I watch every movie cynically?
1: I don't think that. I don't okay. think I'm that. given
2: your letterbox ratings on some of these things.
0: It's just it's just because it's like <laughs> your your baby.
1: I mean in general, I'm really tired of cynicism and like You know people who are just like i'm gonna watch this movie to give it a hard time i'm like don't
0: just don't (laughs) just don't no i (laughs) I ended up loving jurassic park which i did eventually watch for the listener um so in regard to our own book club i did have the thought watching this movie where i i thought like this watching this movie is bad for our podcast because (laughs) It, it's showing the members of the podcast that there is an easier way with well, less work
1: to do a, a book club. <laughs> I did think e- about that too.
0: Each of the characters reads one Jane Austen book and does like a book <laughs> report on it to the other characters.
2: Well, I don't feel like that part was ever clear. I think they set up that someone is well, leading the discussion, right. but it more felt like they were just bringing out the charcuterie board at their house.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do think if we were all living in the same place and we were able to do things in person, you know, one of us would say, well, this one's at my house and you set up the charcuterie board and you bring some wine and then maybe you ask the first set of questions and then you let it go from there.
0: I maintain that someday, years from now, we're going to take like the weirdest vacation ever.
1: I can't wait. <laughs> S-
0: six people <laughs> and a ton, of, uh, a ton of tech equipment. <laughs> also... Our book club, unlike theirs, you know,
2: they're reading some of the most readily available books in the world. We're going on Okie Dokie Jones safaris (laughs) trying to find (laughs) copies of Batman and Robin that are in acceptable condition. You know, we
1: can't just go to the bookstore and say, I thought maybe they were all sequels, so I bought one collected
0: (laughs) I I did spend a good part of this afternoon Googling Cheetah Girls novelizations, so... (laughs) (laughs) The podcast has changed my the structure of my days. Um, <laughs> I, I am going to push back against you, Andrew. I think instead of going through this movie narratively, we should maybe go through it character by character. Because it's so right. interwoven that I could not tell you for the life of me the order in which these things happen. But I remember the batshit thing that happens to each person. <laughs>
2: Okay, I'll, so, great. I'll 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 get some characters out there then. I think Sylvia is probably a good starting point then.
1: Yes, I will say when we talk about you know like I didn't. This movie was not what I expected. I will say no. And so like the stars summary that the one sentence you know logline or whatever is like these women start a book club and they find their lives echoing the books in unexpected ways. So I expected, <laughs> so I expected, okay, well, each of these women will have like a Jane Austen experience in their life and it will mirror one of the books and that'll be fun and cute. And that is not at all what happens. Yeah, no.
2: that's Bridget Jones' diary. That is not this.
1: Right. I wish that this was six little Bridget Joneses, sort of. I mean, I would all, I, I like Jane Austen book club as it is, but if we had a movie that was, six little Bridget Jones version thingies. I'd be into that too.
0: There's a uh, th- there's a lot of forums and stuff where people discussed this movie when it came out and they're going, you know, it really doesn't have that much to do with the Austin. It's kind of disappointing.
1: Mm. Oh,
0: did Prudy write all of these? Prudy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, Sylvia, whose husband leaves her. Um,
2: right. Which he just discloses to her because at this funeral, his daughter's like, oh, like, it's sad that our dog friend Jocelyn has dogs and she doesn't have love and you have mom. And then he takes her out to dinner and is just like, by the way, I've been cheating on you for six months.
1: With a woman named I Cam. love some
2: who's, yeah, your age. Similar, like, there's no, like, he's dating the hot young blonde. It's just like, no, I just found another lady. And he tells her that. I'm in love with Pam and I'm not leaving her. So
0: we're getting divorced.
1: Non-negotiable. Basically.
0: Yeah. There's a really great thing about the Smiths performance too, or, or rather, well, the performance and the writing, which is he's, he's a step of ahead of her in a way that everyone is when they're doing the breakup. She's going through right. shock. She's going through, Oh my God, my marriage is ending. And he, because he's had this gun in his back pocket, for you know <laughs> 3 months he's having the conversation with her it actually was a really good marriage and we raised beautiful children together he's having the conversation you really ought to have 2 weeks later because he's been living in that space which i thought was just very right. realistic yeah totally
1: yeah he does do the kind of shitty thing of like it's really logical that we break up actually if you think about it and she's
0: like <laughs> yeah you can't Fuck sustain you. these things yeah so that sort of kicks off the entire book club which is that sylvia now mourning her marriage uh is kind and of jocelyn starting to s- mourning her dog jocelyn mourning her dog uh, but sylvia is starting to kind of spiral yes. and the impetus of the book club it feels like is let's help sylvia just have something to do in this terrible right. moment in her life and they
2: yeah, and they decide they've all read Austin, so why don't we do something familiar
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's a little comfortable?
1: And if you aren't able to finish reading the whole book in time, you already know what happens. You can still engage in the conversation.
0: Right, and once again, let's not think about how easy and relaxed that is too much. So, Sylvia
2: has a daughter,
1: Allegra, Allegra.
2: who does not really want to be a part of the book club, but she's moved back in. She's supposed to be like a college student, right? Or a postgrad? post
1: postgrad. She yeah. like an adult. So she
2: moves back in with her mom after the divorce to kind of care for her and is sort of swept into the book club without wanting to be, though is clearly well-read
0: mm-hmm.
2: on Austin, has read all the books, knows all the characters, things like that. And she's a thrill seeker also.
1: And a lesbian.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I... The thing is, she's a lesbian, but I don't feel like for a movie made in 2007... It's, like, an issue. No,
1: it's actually, like, a very nice um, presentation of her, I think. Yeah. Like, there's there's both, like, she's just, like, statement of fact a lesbian is dating women, is a person with other aspects to her life. And then there's that scene where Greg is, like, so are you a lesbian exclusively? Because I have a sister who's bisexual. Um, doesn't say that word, but, like, you know, says basically that. And I was, like, oh, this is very nice, actually.
2: yeah. I mean, all the interactions she has with her romances in this movie, like in 2007, they could have just made this a guy, but they didn't and it works and it doesn't, they don't really draw too much to it. And I think that's kind of nice because it's, it's not what the movie's
1: about, mm-hmm.
2: nor does it have to be what the movie's about. But
1: it's not shying away from it either. Like she has right. like a full couple of full relationships and brings her perspective to the books. And I think like a lot of her perspective that we hear expressed is like based in her experience as a gay woman, which is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Nice to have that in a book club.
0: If we were to rank the twists in this movie by craziness, (laughs) would you put the Allegra one at the top? I think it's debatable.
1: I don't... That
0: she's gay being a twist? No. What
1: happens with her girlfriend? What like, happens okay, with her girlfriend
0: about. Is, Oh, is is mind-blowing in a way where I was like, this is not necessarily good mind-blowing. This is... Does the movie want to be doing this? Like, what yeah. is this actually well, doing to the, the story? What's,
2: what, what the twist is worth are Yeah,
0: to. so at one point, uh, Allegra is dating a woman, and the woman Karen, is...
1: Kieran? Like
0: that. Christine? I,
1: not we're we're
0: decided on a CUS sound um <laughs> so allegra's dating Ka and um cuz being like very supportive of her in a number of arenas uh the most naked version of that is the scene in the bathtub where uh allegra confesses this story of when she was a a child, and there was, uh, I think, a uh, uh, differently-abled person uh, or de- developmentally Corrine. challenged.
1: Her name is Corinne, this character. Corinne. Corinne, yes, sorry. Anyway, continue. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, you're good. Then. I looked I, it up, and uh, I just want to let you all know. I don't have
0: a single name, but Grig, in my head, so that was super <laughs> helpful. <laughs> um, so uh, Allegra is telling Corinne uh, this story about how a, a differently-abled boy when she was uh in school showed his penis to her and uh she got in the car with her dad uh who of course was jimmy smiths and was like dad a boy showed me his penis today leaving out the the part that he was differently abled and jimmy smiths gets all angry and goes to the kid's house and says to the mother you know, your son did this. How could you let him do this? And, and she goes, well, wh- what exactly do you want me to do? And then Jimmy Smith sees this is all this is not shot. This is all just monologued. Jimmy Smith sees that uh, boy in the background and, and is able to tell that he has uh, some sort of, uh, you know, developmental challenge. And basically he gets back in the car with uh, Allegra and is like, you, you know, you left out the most important part of the story. And, and then she
1: says, I just wanted his attention, so it didn't seem like it
0: mattered. Yeah. D- a beautiful scene on its own.
1: Weird to have that conversation while your girlfriend's in the bathtub and you're like sexually shaving her legs, but.
2: Right. The impetus was just like, tell me something no one else knows. Yeah. And you think she's going to be like, I have a tattoo on my
0: thigh. And she goes into this very kind of raw
1: story. <laughs> yeah.
0: Can I? You know, early on in my relationship, just as like a fun thing on a on a date, my girlfriend was like, "Tell me something about you that I I don't know yet." And what if I had launched into something like that intricate? And I was like, <laughs> "When I was a child, I saw a dog go under a house. I followed it under that leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, Team stuff. Anyway, so that's a very beautiful scene. And then the twist in the Allegra plot line is that Corinne, her girlfriend, is. Writing fictional, quote unquote, stories about basically everything Allegra's ever confessed to her. Most of which is not a confession.
1: No, it's just like things that she's happen. like.
0: My mom and I made flan,
2: <laughs> and that's a story. My favorite part about this, yeah, she won't reveal that she, what she's writing to her girlfriend, and she like purposely rips up some letter, and <clears throat> so. Allegra's like, I gotta go read this letter and tapes it back together. And we get this voiceover by like a publisher who's like, hey, we hated your manuscripts. <laughs> and he's really dunking
0: on them.
1: Yeah, there's one, the last the last piece of criticism. like the first. I know what you're gonna say, I can't wait. <laughs> I wish I'd written down exactly what it was. Oh, Andrew, maybe you can help him with the text. But like the first piece of criticism is like, we found your depiction of like a differently abled child to be pretty insensitive. We wouldn't publish that. The second one is like, we think the metaphor of making flan is um, kind of heavy handed. We didn't love it. And the third one is just like, it's bad. Like, what's the third one? Because it's really just like, it made me laugh.
0: The third, well, maybe not the third one, but one of the things he says. So we have earlier seen uh, Allegra go skydiving. As Andrew says, she's kind of a a thrill seeker. And the the publisher says, (laughs) I don't get it. Why would a self-centered lesbian jump out of a plane?
1: <laughs> yes, that's it, exactly. It's like, it's no criticism on the story, it's no criticism on the writing, it's just like, that's it, a lesbian and a skydiver?
0: <laughs> I've only seen those on the ground. <laughs> it, made
1: me, it made me laugh, it made Was me laugh. Was this
2: somebody's actual publisher's note to the author of the yeah. book, The Jane
0: Austen book Club? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Being in your Jane she just she just p-
0: printed all the notes about the movie and in, in that scene um yeah, but i i mean for me that's my vote for craziest twists in the movie and there are a lot of twists i was flabbergasted by this film especially the third act um yeah.
1: i mean the entire prudy plot line which we haven't talked about at all which shocking. one's
0: prudy again
1: Emily Blunt.
0: Oh, my God. She is a French
1: teacher. She feels like her husband doesn't understand her. How did she marry this guy in the first place? And she starts an affair with a high school student.
0: That's the most important thing. Could Please tell me what grade level she teaches. You're telling me it's high school? Yes. Well, he says he's turning 18. He
1: says he is 18.
0: <gasps> right. And I had to
2: look it up at the time because Emily Blunt is 23, maybe 22 in this movie's made. Okay. But is she playing a 23-year-old fresh-out-of-college teacher, or is she playing older? Because Emily Blunt could be in that sort of gray area of, like, I'm 30.
1: I did not read her as a 22-year-old fresh-out-of-college
2: Not at all. Teacher.
1: She reads like someone who's been teaching in a high school for 6 to 10 years, and is therefore in her 30s. <laughs>
2: Especially because her husband reads older and her mother certainly reads yeah. a bit older. Well, her
0: husband doesn't read at all. That's a huge problem.
1: <laughs> <Ooh>.
0: <laughs> husband jokes.
1: Mark Lucas. Another unacceptable name.
0: The guy who plays the high schooler that Emily Blunt has the affair with.
1: Mm-hmm. The boy from Airbud. I,
0: I think part of the problem is that It is the boy from Airbud. While he is, you know, an attractive guy, he's an attractive guy who reads as like high school jock like he seems young and he seems yeah. like it, it really feels like when she's lusting after him or whatever she's doing that it is teacher and child
1: it's icky it's a really icky plot line i was very relieved when she did not consummate their affair but very very horrified leading up to the maybe of it all. I, was I like, mean, they oh French. God, Emily, <laughs> they're Frenching. They do that.
2: Yeah. Because when you first see her introduced in the movie, I think she's introduced in her classroom. It You see, cause she's dressed very repressed, lots of frills, a, a weird tiny bob on her head. And you see like two kids making out and it may as well have been like a fantasy sequence. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like what she's looking at is reality. She's just kind of like, Oh, My Life Sucks, Two Kids Making Out looks like a romance novel to me. Yeah. Which makes sense because she reads a lot of novels and Jane Austen, but...
1: For that to then develop into, and I'm hot for that one specific boy. Right. I didn't like it.
0: (laughs) I thought it was insane that they introduced the boy before they showed that her marriage was bad. It just seemed like they (laughs) got the math of, like, the rom-com. I know it's not a com, but, like, in rom-coms... They do, oh my god, my husband is so bad. And there's this other guy, I I don't know how I feel about him. And in this one, they were like, they show the guy being sleazy to her first. Where he's flirting, and she's like, I'm married. And he's like, I don't care. (laughs) And then later, they're like, her husband kind of sucks. So I spent five minutes of the movie going, wow, that was a close call she had with an outright scumbag.
1: (laughs) I mean, but he reads books, and he listens to her, and he's cute, and that's enough to have a scandalous affair, isn't it?
2: <laughs> Can we unpack a little bit the husband's suckage a little sure. more? Because I felt, so, the husband Emily Blunt's has husband. some sort of job. Emily Blunt's husband is has some sort of job where he was going to take her to France, and now he has to go to the NBA Finals.
1: With a client.
2: For with a client which you know stinks but it could be a lot worse um and then he suggests she hang out with her mother wh- who she does not like and i understand why uh, once we meet her but i mean when her mother dies he comes to her school and is like breaks the news
1: yeah i think he's a perfectly acceptable husband they just don't have a lot in common and that is yeah. causing strain on their relationship.
0: That is perfect. That That's exactly like, it.
1: If there's ever a movie that says, like, sharing your interests with your partner is what helps you maintain a strong relationship, like, that's right. the argument of this movie, it feels like.
0: There's that scene jumping way ahead to the... when they're at her mother's funeral, uh, where she's mad at him for flirting with her, like, enemy at her mother's funeral. Uh, and... Weirdly, I was I was siding with the guy who we weren't supposed to like at that point because I was just imagining myself being at that funeral and like somebody who's in, you know, way too provocatively dressed for a funeral. I'm not shaming her, but like she wasn't in funeral garb Um, coming up to me and like getting that feeling of getting trapped in a conversation Mm-hmm. And being like, it would be rude for me to back out. And I can just imagine going like, man, this must look so bad from the outside. <laughs> yeah.
2: But even even in the kind of aftermath of that, he and his wife, Emily Blunt, are fighting in the hotel room. And he's basically saying like, high school's over. And she says, high school's never I over. I work in one. Woman,
1: for a woman like Prudy, it's not over. She's such a weird woman. that everyone who meets her is like, what a freak. Like, you could just, like, even her book club are like, we don't know what to make of her, because she's a lot. Like
2: Oh, yeah, she speaks French throughout the book club. She is a French teacher. It's annoying. But she speaks it as if everyone speaks It's not like she just says, you know, qu'est-ce ques say once in a <laughs> while. She's saying entire paragraphs in French, and we're expected to, like, catch up with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, she is a lot. She is difficult. This is why, like, I don't understand how she and her husband, like, got together to begin with they seem like polar opposites mm-hmm. he's like a jock who likes to work on his truck and watch sports and when she says like please read this book for me he's like this is a test that you want me to fail which to me says that like every other time she said please read a book and he has it has been a test and he has right. failed it and she's been like I knew you would
0: rough I think when she uh, is having that argue I mean I-, I totally agree with you about them just like not connecting on any level that we can see until the very end, and I don't know if I buy that, but um, in the argument about the funeral, he's so nakedly going, this is what's happening, and who's to say if he's lying or not? He might be lying, he might have been into her, but it's so clear that Emily Blunt is coming back and going, here is all the feelings I have about that woman, And you didn't know these feelings and I'm now holding you accountable for them. Mm -hmm. So I totally based on that agree with you, Hannah. It seems like she is setting these snares for him. Even if she doesn't realize she does it.
1: Yeah. I'm glad they figure it out.
2: (laughs) How does Prudy Emily Blunt's character get involved in this book club?
1: She is waiting in line at a Jane Austen film festival and Bernadette, (laughs) is talking to a different woman, and Prudy turns around and is like, I have a thought on that, uh, actually. <laughs> and Bernadette says like, okay, let's go eat ice cream and talk about it, and then loops her into the book club.
2: Right, because she, like, breaks down. Yes. And starts crying. She's like, oh, I need to get this woman out of here and get some ice cream. Yeah.
1: Because Prudy is having, like, a difficult time with her marriage, not going to France, etc., on the verge of a breakdown in the best of times, let alone going to see some <laughs> Apparently less than fantastic, Austin.
0: I I now hate the husband again because you've reminded me about the France thing. That is messed up.
1: That's pretty rude, yeah. He basically
0: blows off a France trip just for a business thing last minute.
1: Well, the the France trip is also a business trip. We must keep that in mind. Oh, sure. He he was going to fly business, and he's turned in his business ticket to get two coach tickets so they can go together, which is nice. And Super then his nice. job says, actually, we don't need you in Paris. We need you at the NBA finals. And he's like, what do you want me to do? Say no to my boss and then fly to Paris on our own dime? Like, I see where he's coming from. It's a shitty that movie. I, it yeah. sucks. He could be more sorry about it because he's really just like, what do you want me to do? I can't do anything. Too bad. You know, yeah, you're I don't right. Think he, he just handles it well.
0: He just blows it off in a way that feels bad. But yeah, no, you've convinced me.
2: He's a good guy. It's hard to be a man in a movie where Greg is a character. <laughs> it's true. All men pale in comparison to Grig. We will yeah,
1: get to Grig. The most handsome, charming man alive pales in comparison to Greg.
0: We have to talk while we're still on. What was your name? Uh,
1: Ju- Judith
0: Prudy. Prudy. Okay. <laughs> um, while we're on Prudy, we have to talk about her mom. Played by Lynn <laughs> yeah. Redgrave. Yeah. Somebody else, just talk about her mom.
1: (laughs) Another character in Prudy's life who has no place in Prudy's life.
2: Right, but you see how Prudy became Prudy that she is today from her mother. Polar opposites.
1: Yeah. Her mom is, like, messy. She's a hippie. She, like, smokes. She's... Just like an all around disaster and Prudy is uh, very organized and very like regimented.
0: The way they show her mom living in her apartment suggests that her mom must live in complete squalor on her own.
1: I really thought entering that scene where like Emily Blunt opens the door and the fire alarm's going off and there's smoke, I was like, Oh my god, her mother has died in yes. the apartment. <laughs> but no, she dies later in a car crash.
0: No, and and for the listener, the reason there's smoke is just because she left the oven on after making brownies. It looked like, and yeah, just yeah, set yeah. the pan of brownies down on the carpet in the living room, which left a huge brownie stain. Which she was doing a number of things wrong because I am I'm like a a slob, and I I will empty the colander of water and like eat out eat the spaghetti out <laughs> of the colander. Like I, I'm I have problems, but. If you do that with, if you make a pan of brownies and then you put them on your carpet, it's not advisable, but there shouldn't be brownie detritus all over the bottom of your pan.
1: Yeah, who knows?
0: That was, is so odd. Um, but yeah, they lay on so much like this, the Emily Blunt character has legitimate trauma from her mother and essentially it's caused her to act in this wildly insecure way towards her husband which mm-hmm. my question with this movie is like are these all just meant to be seen as vignettes because i i liked them all but i wasn't clear on how they all had to do with each other or how the themes intersected mm-hmm.
1: yeah because it's, it's not like for prudy's story influences anybody else's story like she is not part of their friend group
2: she leaves at one point to go to her mom's funeral and the book club goes on
1: yeah and she doesn't show up to the last meeting either
0: she's not on the beach
1: no she reads it with her husband oh yeah which is nice you know but like her her whole drama it's like she she says she explains to bernadette that she's having an affair with a student right Or she's thinking about it? She admits she's
2: having feelings for a high school student.
1: But that doesn't, like, go any further. They never talk about it in book club.
2: No, we get more scenes of Brigadoon than we do of that confrontation.
1: That's true. And then there's a point where Greg says, like, I respect that this character is, like, bold and without fear and just, like, lives her life. And Prudy's like, that could be me. I'm going to fuck a high schooler. (laughs) But that's about, like, the only overlap of, like, here's how the book club is affecting lives, I, I felt.
0: You're talking a, a little bit about plot overlap, which it's true there's almost none, right, between these vignettes. I'm even struggling to find theme overlap. Like, what is what does is, what is Prudy's struggle have to do at all with what the other characters are doing? going through does it complement those stories i just couldn't figure out how this was one movie and not like six shorts
1: if i'm really stretching here i might say that what prudy is experiencing is the same as what sylvia's husband has experienced and they both end up coming back to their original partner um
0: okay and i love it now
1: <laughs> yeah i mean
2: i i agree with you because the movie also in a way I think it's about finding your person in a way, because Jocelyn's whole struggle is that, as Grig puts it later, is that the reason she is a dog owner is because she wants to be obeyed, is how he puts it. And, you know, she hasn't been able to really form a relationship in any sort of deep way. And, you know, because there's a whole montage at the end of the film, basically, where everybody who's meant to be with everybody is making out. You know, you've got Prudy and her husband, husband, Greg and Jocelyn, Sylvia and Daniel. They're all having these intimate kind of scenes. Oh, and Allegra has found a a new new love after Corinne, her doctor, uh, because she does get injured multiple times in this movie. But they all have sort of found their person, and that's supposed to be like a cathartic moment for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's at least where it feels like I'm supposed to be feeling the theme. But you're right that it's not immediately apparent upon an initial kind of
0: walkthrough of the plot. I, I think. Eaten. Sorry, sorry, go, go ahead, Andrew. Hannah. No. <laughs> no, Hannah, go.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like each of these couples has successfully found their happy ending through their journey with Jane Austen. Right. Right, that like Greg and Jocelyn like trade books and that allows them to like get to know each other and find love. And Sylvia and Daniel, like, he thinks about the lessons he's learned and writes her a very heartfelt letter, and she accepts it. And, you know, Prudy and her husband, like, again, like, share Jane Austen together, and it brings them together. Right? Like, that's it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we should all just be like, right, Persuasion is the romantic book. Right.
2: And then Bernadette just sort of plays Emma, plays matchmaker, and then marries Rich at the end.
1: For the seventh time, God bless her. <laughs> Marries a guy. they don't even speak the same language. They just know they're in love.
0: The overall theme of the movie does seem to just be love the one you're with, right? I mean they that i I rank that as a twist in the movie. I think I was flabbergasted that the Emily Blunt plot ended with her getting like falling back in love with her husband, who they had spent the entire film going this guy's not that great, right? Oh, this marriage isn't that great. And then in the last 10 minutes, they're like, no, these people are, they're good together.
2: They're so good together that he yeah, that joins the book club.
1: Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> we have to wait to discuss, like, that final book club sequence because I have notes on what they're about to embark upon. <laughs> like, they are making a huge mistake.
0: Let's jump to another character that we've done, what? Sylvia and, and the Emily Blunt character. And we did Allegra. And Allegra basically. yeah Jocelyn so
1: Jocelyn who I think is like the lead of the movie.
0: Yes, the Maria Bello character. Yeah. Yeah
1: She's great. I liked her mm-hmm. uh, She deserves all the love and happiness in the world a bunch of dogs a few dancey what could be better? <laughs> you know
0: Yeah, the dogs thing Did not help me get away from him being will Graham <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure, show up and I was like be British. What if British and he's like, no, no, I'm an American a little disappointed Very Will Graham esque except a doofus like an absolute like clods. He's always knocking stuff over
0: I was saying to Andrew. I was like it I couldn't stop thinking of him as Will Graham and it sort of worked because Will Graham through the entire nightmare world he lived through in Hannibal just wanted to get into a marriage with any of the book club women. That was like his (laughs) dream happy ending. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Jocelyn meets Greg at a convention center. There's like multiple conventions happening at one hotel. She meets Greg in an elevator. Were there three conventions
2: or was... So there's... She's at a dog convention. She loves dogs. He's
1: at a sci-fi convention. But then there are these Buffy
2: vampires, like Buffy fan people. Are they at the sci-fi convention? Is there a Buffy convention?
1: I think that the Buffy contingent is part of the Mm sci-fi convention. They meet, they have a meet cute in an elevator, then she sees him at the bar, and I thought she was going to be like, what if I bang this cutie?
0: Oh, me too.
1: She's like, what if my friend banged this cutie? I'm going to do a really complicated thing to set them up.
0: And she says to him at the bar, hey, you want to come to my book club? And he's like, yeah. Yeah cuz he's like into <laughs> Is this her. A
1: metaphor for sex.
0: And she doesn't she doesn't bring up the friend at all and she goes, "Okay, you like older women?"
1: And he's like, "I do." Yes. <laughs> older women. Very clearly he's into her. That's
0: crazy misleading.
1: And then the whole time she's trying to set him up with Sylvia, it's not really working cuz he's into Jocelyn. And the whole time she's like, "Why isn't it working?" I don't get why he's not in love with her.
2: There's even a third level because I think he initially like, he starts to realize he's being set up with somebody. He emails with his (laughs) sisters and he's like, oh, they're setting me up with Allegra, the daughter. Mm -hmm. And then the next scene that is immediately dissuaded because it's like, oh, she's very gay. She's wearing like a, (laughs) I'm a gay teen t-shirt. I think those might be the words on the shirt. And it takes him a while to realize oh it's sylvia they're trying to set me up with and i was sort of confused because it seems at a point i mean he's always in the jocelyn but is there a moment when he's like i guess i'll give sylvia a try or is he just always absent-minded on what's going on
1: i think eventually he's like fine i'll take her out to lunch she's nice i like her as a person like, I don't think their lunch is in any way romantic, and then Jocelyn is jealous. Though even that
2: leads to two scenes in which Jimmy Smith thinks she's with him that never <laughs> gets resolved.
1: Well, he ends up with Jocelyn, so it's, like, problem solved. No need to go further into it. Though so now this guy is part of your life forever. <laughs> He's in your book club for life. Right. Yeah.
0: Greg was just attending... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt this specific, but Greg was just attending the convention, right? Yeah. Yeah. I originally thought, is he going to be a writer? Uh, but I no. couldn't get it out of my head that he was an author, even though they told me it wasn't true. He's rich, yeah. but does tech support.
1: He built. He like had a business or a program that he sold for a lot of money, and now he does tech support for fun. His
2: connection to his father was sci-fi, because he's from a family of mostly women, so he's always trying to you know get people to read sci-fi um yeah he's yeah. certainly a hugh grant type but played yeah. by a different hugh uh and i could that's what i kept thinking is like if this movie was made five or ten years earlier this would be hugh grant who would yeah. feel more natural in
1: into things knocking things right. over he's always riding a bike silly. he's got lots
2: of blinkers on and all the accoutrement. <laughs> andrew is that how much you Thanks wear when you. you ride your bike
0: I actually, uh, and I'm glad that I get to talk about my biking a little bit. So I actually am, uh, as as I probably said on the podcast before, training for 100 miles right now in three weeks. I've got a race and uh, have not done that before. And I don't wear the kit and I don't really have biking clothes. <laughs> and yeah, and it's funny because people just assume that I am a slowpoke <laughs> when they like see me stopped at a red light and... People uh, on the road bikes and everything, because I'm on like a hybrid, will just blow past me, and then I have to kind of awkwardly be like, I'm actually quite fast. (laughs)
1: Have you considered getting biking clothes?
0: Yeah, at some point I'll make the jump. Um, Right now, Mm -hmm. just accomplishing this one goal of the 100 mile ride and not spending that much money feels nice to me. Sure.
1: Have you gotten gloves at least?
0: No. Oh. I'm having a lot of wrist problems. They hurt, my wrist hurts really bad recently.
1: (laughs) You might wanna consider that the reason that some of these things exist is actually to help the painful things that bicycling does to your body.
0: Next, you're gonna be telling me that I shouldn't have a deployed parachute behind me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's not my business, I'm not here to tell you that.
2: Save that for your uh, skydiving lesbians.
0: I do think (laughs) Hugh Dancy I, I I push back against your Hugh Grant thing a little bit. I think Hugh Grant who Hugh, Hugh Grant Hugh Dancy. <laughs> I think Hugh Dancy is a m- more of a biker type oh, than yeah. Hugh Grant. Like and part of it part of it is just being short.
1: <laughs>
0: it's just a big like 5 8 guy, <laughs> 5 7 guy activity. Oh <laughs>
1: I, like, I really thought you were going to be like, I don't think that's the vibe of the character. And you were like, I don't think Hugh Grant's a bicycle.
0: In. No, I'm, I'm still talking biking. <laughs> I'm not talking Jane Austen book club.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of the titular book club, I wanted to ask, uh, because I thought it helped me a little bit watching this movie. What are your relationships to Austen? So I've only read three of these books, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, and Emma, and seen some film adaptations, but... Are you guys Austin heads?
1: No, (laughs) I'm not. I've never read. I've read most of Persuasion. Mm -hmm. I don't like her writing. I find it super dull. I love her stories. I have seen so many Jane Austen movies and BBC miniseries. Like I love them. I eat them up. But her writing just like kills me. (laughs) Um, So I haven't read a lot of them. I do read a lot of Wikipedia pages about like, how is this movie different than the actual book? <laughs> but, um, no, I would not consider myself an Austinite by any stretch of the imagination.
0: So I'm a little confused. You're telling me these are real books? <laughs> yes,
2: and yes. they're all sequels to each other.
0: <laughs> um, I've never read a uh, an Austin. You never uh, read Pride just... and
2: Prejudice in high school?
0: No, I. We went to the same high school. You had to read Pride oh, and Prejudice yes, at the same it time. In we senior went. English.
1: I was uh, never assigned a, an Austin in my whole high school career or my college English major career.
0: It, Andrew, too. I think I figured out the reason. The senior English was like the most mutating subject at the school that you and i both attended yes like year to year they'd be like they'd, they'd make an announcement there like we've made a huge change to the curriculum of senior english and be like i oh. we don't care yeah. that much i'm
2: sure you read hamlet right
0: i i read hamlet i watched the four hour hamlet i watched they make you watch so many hamlets i mean we watched the the gibson as well oh
1: did you guys watch the ethan hawk no. no but i'm sure yes i that. i
0: did watch that,
1: that
2: i mean i will say i know this is the the Thing we'll probably edit out uh we read hamlet pride and prejudice dubliners and black swan green my senior
0: year black swan green rules yeah
1: i've never read that
0: it's like catcher in the rye but what if modern oh, okay. yeah
2: but no other shared um, books between us andrew
0: i yeah there were a couple i read a couple of those i just pretended to read canterbury tales that was the <laughs> one that they were like you're reading that right and i was like yeah
1: my like college english course like how i handled the syllabuses was i would pick one book to actually read and i would sort of like skim the rest and read wikipedia and dip in and out so i could like engage in the conversations and pass the quizzes but when it came to like actual thought i was like one book one book per class i don't have time
2: did you major in english
1: I did. And theatrical <laughs> performance. Yeah,
0: I never took an English class in college. I
1: uh, took a ton. took a ton of English
0: class. I took so many in college. Um, I just liked the lectures, like, a lot.
1: I like books, dudes. Like, I like literature. And it was very pleasant for me to, like, read books, talk about books, learn about books. <laughs> like
0: I remember in high school English, I uh, did the reading one time, and I didn't... Uh, pass a quiz even though i did the reading (laughs) and i went to the teacher and i was like i did this reading like is there any way we can adjust this grade because like i did it and i and this quiz it was like a pop quiz to prove i did it and he just said to me and he was right he was like i believe you from your tone that you read it but like based on your track history i i can't believe you (laughs) (laughs) and i was like that's fair
1: I mean, clearly you didn't read it closely enough to pick out the things that he was quizzing you on. Though many of those did you read it quizzes are full bullshit.
0: Right. No, I was calling Hamlet porklet. It was a mess. (laughs) Um, All right. I've got something to get us back in. So speaking of all of the uh, twists that we've had in the movie, I I found it very odd that the Grig and who is it? Sophie? Sylvia? Sylvia. Jocelyn. Jocelyn.
1: Jocelyn is who he ends up with. Great.
0: The, the 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 Hugh Dancy Maria Bello plot. It's bizarre how just straight it's played. <laughs> it just goes exactly the way you think it's yeah. going to. Yeah. Though I had one Pretty moment bad. I did not understand. Which which
2: was what I'll 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 give <laughs> you the, the set. <laughs> Sylvia's career is something to do with libraries. Uh. Mm-hmm. And so they're having some sort of gala. Jocelyn wants Grig to dance with Sylvia because Daniel will be there. Uh and Grig picks up Jocelyn to drive to the ball in his eco-friendly car that runs on donut grease. Yep. And I wasn't sure why like it, it it I didn't think it was I was confused by the way it was sort of played and edited and the vibe of it all. If it was supposed to be like a comedy of errors. Or if he was like purposefully trying to keep her away so that he didn't have to do dance with Sylvia or whatever.
1: He does take his time getting there. Very confusing. Then the car breaks down and they have to walk. They get in a fight. Then it just cuts to them. They've arrived and they seem to have like made up. And then they dance together. And I was like, oh, I guess they're together now. And the movie for no reason skipped over the part where they get together. But that was not the case.
0: Well, movies do this thing that I feel like is a carryover from like a previous era where I guess in the 40s and 50s, I would just go to a dance and be like, hey, lady, want to dance with me? Cool. This meant nothing to me. Next lady, you want to <laughs> dance with me? Cool. This meant nothing to me. Like, it, there that's not true to life that if you ask someone to dance at a social function that it's just like... For kicks, but there's still this thing in Hollywood where people dance and then they go, and of course that was just a that was just a social interaction we had.
1: Right. Sorry, can you guys hear my cat coughing?
2: A hundred percent, but it's interesting. Yes, what does your cat's cough have to say about Grig? I don't
1: know. I, let me rub his back for a minute. I'll be I'll be right
2: back. Yeah, no worries. All right, Andrew, let's vamp. Grig, how do you spell Grig? I I
0: believe it's G R I G G. It may be.
1: Okay,
0: he seems okay. Um, Hannah, what happened with the cat? Is he alive?
1: Oh, I think he's okay. Sometimes he just, like, he doesn't have any teeth. Oh. So I think sometimes he just, like, gets stuff caught in his throat and, like, has a hard time getting it up and he coughs. Mm-hmm. But I think he, he didn't vomit or anything. So I think he's
0: okay. Good. Okay, good. No, it's, it's totally okay. I, I have, like, an, a certain amount of vomit that I consider normal. Like, if I get.
1: Well, hairballs are part of life.
0: Yeah, if I get more than two in a month, I'm like, that's probably a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, these guys cough or like sneeze maybe quite a bit. And I'm like, are you guys okay? Is it allergies? Do we need to go to the vet? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, no, we don't need to go to the vet. And then they don't cough for a while. (laughs) I don't
0: know. I'm very paranoid Ever since I came home from work one day and my cat was so constipated, he almost died. Very funny, but very sad.
1: How could you tell?
0: Well, I came back and he he's like so food motivated, it's insane. And I came back and he had thrown up a huge amount and my roommate was like, oh yeah, he did that right after breakfast like eight hours ago. And he like was hiding behind the couch and like wouldn't come out. It's just tons of things that weren't like him. So I take him into the the like ER because it's too late to go to the vet and um, they take him in the back and they come back out and they go, we gave him uh, eight enemas and oh, and I forgot to say when I picked him up, this is a kind of a gross detail, but like even without touching any area around his ass, you could feel that he just had a rod of matter through his like that like underlying his spine.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
0: And I, I took him in. They're like, oh. we gave him eight enemas, and he still has some stuff in there. And, and they were like, he he almost died from being constipated. He's like, fine twelve hours earlier, just crazy. And oh my then, God,
1: do they know what caused it? Like, why did that? Happen? They think
0: it's whatever they call it, like mega colon. It's they basically he has for years now eating this dry food that just. Uh, like he won't poop for 2 days and then he'll take a human shit. <laughs> this is all staying in. Oh, God, I mean sure, why not? It's a bonus episode, right? <laughs> Make my work easier.
1: Totally. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the novelty at first, I was like sending people's photos, being like, "Dave did this. Wow." And now I'm just like, "Dave did this. Wow."
1: <laughs> I um I handle enough cat poop in my life, you know. I never need to see a picture of any other poop, <laughs> here. Yet. I had a, an associate in college who would occasionally send me pictures of his poops for, like, jokes, and I was like, it's not funny. A, a, a I cat's poop like a oh. person's poop? <laughs> a person's
2: poop. Oh, that's
0: not good.
1: It was not cool. I hated it. I've seen enough poop for a lifetime is what
0: I'm saying. I, I feel like one thing that we did gloss over, I'm just jumping right back in with the, <laughs> yes, with good, the Emily please. Blunt thing, with the whole plot about her drifting apart from her husband and her sticking her tongue in a teenager's mouth. and <laughs> then And then later getting back with her husband is that the scene where she gets back with her husband, where she goes, please read Persuasion with me. That'll fix us which is a really annoying request even if you wanna fix your relationship. Yeah. <laughs> like read a book together out loud is worse than watch this video on my f- on my phone like at a restaurant. That's way worse. So, anyway, they start reading the book together and because the script and the actor playing the husband can't sell it. They have to cut away from him being like and then, of course, he persuaded her and she persuaded him. And he's like very sad to like they cut back to them reading a later part of the book where he's like, and then everyone was persuaded and I was persuaded. And so were you. And he's like suddenly really into it. And I, I thought while watching that, the reason that they cut away and cut back is because they don't know how to show that natural transformation.
1: This is the power of Jay Austen. I also think in that scene... He says, like, why don't you just tell me what it's about? And the way she describes persuasion (laughs) is not how any human being would describe (laughs) persuasion, in my opinion. Like, in general, the conversation they have about persuasion, I'm like, that's not the persuasion that I read two-thirds of, slash have seen multiple (laughs) movies of. We're like, Emily Blunt's description is like, it's about two people who used to be in love, but now they hate each other, and then later they come to love each other again. I was like, no, they never stop loving each other. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Did you, you are misinterpreting this book, ma'am.
0: She just says the situation she's in.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and then tax on the ending. She would like them to reach.
2: I also kept expecting yeah. during that scene that the love notes she had written to high school boy that are just in the back of her copy of persuasion would come into play that she and her husband like he would reconcile the book
1: and looks at them. And she's like, no, no, don't look at those. Like, are they explicitly about, like, I love your teenage body? <laughs> yeah, like- <laughs> first I thought
2: about giving him the book to be like, here are these love notes I wrote. I'm sorry. Nope.
1: nope. <laughs> this movie strange.
2: is really, it's got a lot of conflicts, but it doesn't want to go too far with any of them.
1: Yeah, I, none I, of these people can end up alone <laughs> at
0: the end. I think the most radical thing about the movie is that, like, it sets up, how we're supposed to feel about a bunch of things, which is a, a thing that a ton of movies do, where they go, ooh, Jimmy Smith's cheated on his wife, that's real bad, right? And then the really radical part is that at the end they go, no matter what anyone did, everyone loves who they either started out with or wanted to begin with. Which is sort of Austin-esque.
1: Yeah, love conquers all, right? Your lover can make a mistake, they can do something wrong, they can hurt your feelings, but if you really love each other, you can fix it. That's nice, isn't it? It
0: it, it totally is nice. It's just I I something I never would have put money on. Like <laughs> while I was watching the film. I thought for sure that, you know, uh Emily Blunt was going to find some other answer to her issue that didn't involve these men. And sure. I don't know what I thought was going to happen to Amy Brenneman, but it certainly wasn't that she was just gonna take back her cheating husband, who partly yeah. through the movie she goes, I you know, I can tell basically that you want to take me back, and I'm I'm moved on.
1: Yeah. I thought she was just gonna start dating somebody new and be like, you know, I've grown through this experience and I do deserve better than you. Right. But no, yeah. she's just like, You're it, I love you.
2: Jimmy Smith is so I mean, good Jimmy in that Smiths. scene where she's gonna say that she's moved on because he's acting like he knows what she's gonna say he's like half listening because he he wants to hear the response he's not gonna hear and it's just so great when he doesn't get that it's like hey it's great you moved on I moved on this is perfect
1: can I call you next week and she's like no
0: <laughs> Yeah. oh that's an amazing scene he keeps insisting that he'll call next week and she's like we're you, you cheated on me we're not Hanging we're out
1: Divorced.
0: we're divorced and he's like, <laughs> okay, but like I'll, I'll check in next week and she's like, that's the same as calling <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's In general like the leap from we are not together to we're together Happens so abruptly for every single one of these couples and yet during the montage of smooching. I was like, oh, thank God I love love yes smooching. <laughs> I'm
0: so glad you brought that up because despite everything we're saying about the movie, we're kind of dunking on it in certain ways. We're certainly calling it odd. It's awesome. And it made me feel really it. good. It also made me want to I read. I cried.
1: It made me cry. Yes. And it, made, it was like, yes, the books are powerful. Yeah, if we were not already wonderful. in a book club,
2: I'd be like, I need a book club.
1: Wikipedia quotes a review of this movie from Karina Chicano of the Los Angeles Times. That ends with, oh, wait, hold on. Ah, oh, fuck, I lost it. Anyway, basically, someone somewhere, I mean, shout out to Karina Chicano. Yeah, I mean, you can find it. Nice we can take a second. But maybe I just misread something in here. But I, I thought I, re- whatever, the point is, the concept of if if this movie does nothing else than inspire people to start their own book clubs, it has accomplished something wonderful and pure mm-hmm. and fantastic for the world at large sure like whether or not you like the movie and like the characters if you walk out of it going like man i'd have to be in a book club i gotta start a book club like that's a win that's a win for society you Hell know yeah.
0: my takeaway was like had nothing to do with book clubs my takeaway was the people around me who i don't yet know are my future best friends and they're brimming with love <laughs> <laughs> It's just I mean, such a feel-good, loving movie.
1: Yeah. A stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah, I felt that. Did Greg say I, that? I,
1: no, I don't. I don't know who said that. I'm saying it now.
0: <laughs> You're taking credit for that one?
1: I don't think I should, because I feel like I copped it from someplace, but I don't know where.
0: <laughs> Anonymous just means up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So, Andrew Marco, currently Andrew Grigg on our our Zoom chat, would you recommend this movie to someone who has not seen this movie? (laughs) Would you recommend this movie to someone who has seen this movie? (laughs) This part doesn't really work when we're doing a movie. Uh, Would you recommend this to someone who's never read a book? What do you think? Uh,
2: Yeah, I would recommend this as just a movie. I would recommend this to people who maybe, you know, go more towards romantic movies. I would recommend it towards people who just like movies. I would also just recommend it to someone who wants to put something on for 90 minutes. I don't think it requires to have any love for books. And I think it actually might inspire a love for books because you see how it brings people together uh, through the course of this movie. I'm glad to have seen it. I probably never would have seen it had it not been recommended for this podcast. So I'm very happy and I hope that future books that we read, a, a movies rather, that we watch about book clubs live up
0: to <laughs> We're going to run out of ones about book clubs. We might really have to fast. start producing some films about book <laughs> yes, clubs. Yes, totally. The book club betrayal. <laughs> 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 All sorts of genres. <laughs> Hannah Blackman. Yes. How do you feel about the concept of recommending this movie to people?
1: I mean, I liked the movie. It moved my heart. It is strange, and I think that strangeness makes it interesting and sort of elevates it above, like, a basic rom-com. I think I would have liked the basic rom-com version as well, but what we actually got is so much richer and weirder and, like, more complicated, which I guess actually is what the movie is trying to say about jane austen that her stories are not just basic rom-coms they're richer and more complex and her characters are richer and more you know are having a harder time than rom-com characters do it just came to me <laughs> um, so yeah i like the movie i would recommend it i was gl- i'm glad i've seen it now i haven't seen it you know so I, yep
0: i well, had done. no clue it existed <laughs> I was so glad to put these characters into my brain five <laughs> seconds after learning they they were characters.
1: <laughs> you know, at the end of the day we all got Grig out of it. <laughs> and aren't we better for knowing Greg?
0: And uh, just revisiting I think the first thing you said about Grig, which is that uh he has that his really wonderful Grig. Yeah, his name is Grig. <laughs> no, that he has that really wonderful moment with Allegra about going, oh, so like, you know, you know for the times like it going it, it, you know it, you're a lesbian does does that mean like exclusively women or or whatever i think that only works with the actor hugh dancy <laughs> because many other actors and certainly all of us male humans were we to just float that question would seem like fucking creeps <laughs> <laughs> yep oh cool so you're like into women but is it like just women and that's something do I,
1: I do i have a chance
0: that's something i would ask just genuinely curious in the way that grig is and it would come out like this guy is a skis ball
1: <laughs> brings a lot to
0: it he's he's this magic item there's i i feel like very few actors like him he's just so yeah. affable and you give him all of your goodwill mm-hmm. up front
1: May I tell a story and then we can determine if it's appropriate for the podcast or if it is, we should cut it out. Sure. sure. I'll
2: have an in after it.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so I used to work at a furniture gallery in Soho, which was like the worst working experience of my entire life. But one day while I was working there, Hugh Dancy came in and was like, hello, I'm looking for a bathtub. May, will you show me the bathtubs? And we had to be, we were like, yes, of course we will show you the bathtubs. <laughs> and he was like, he, he got into every single one of the bathtubs and sat in them and was like, I'm looking for a bathtub that's big enough for me and my wife to share. Do you think that this is big enough? And we'd be like, not this one, let's try another one. And the whole time, I, like no one else I was working with knew who he was and I was just like, you dancing and queer days, yeah. take baths together.
0: And you're like um, telling people, you're like, we have to make sure that it's even bigger because the wife is longer.
1: I'm yeah, like, he's not tall, but she is tall. It was, it was, there was one point where my, one of my coworkers was like, he was like, do you think this is big enough for two people? And she was like, would you like me to get in the tub as well? And he was like, no, no, I wouldn't. It was the most surreal experience of my life. And I don't know if it's, I don't want to tell tales out of turn about Hugh Dancy. He seems like a wonderful person, but I wanted to share with you, my friends.
0: I will say, of course, it's your your prerogative to to potentially cut that out. But I I will say that I I don't think there's anything shameful (laughs) about trying to find a bathtub for your spouse and you.
1: (laughs) It's nice. I love that they do that together. It's very romantic. Very
0: lovely, yeah. It was
1: just just a funny, (laughs) I think about it whenever I'm like, oh, you're dancing. (laughs) He takes baths with his wife. (laughs) (laughs) What Um, what were
0: you going to say, Andrew? I was just going to say, somebody asked me the question. Andrew. And then I have a question after that.
2: Uh, so, Andrew,
0: what did you? would you recommend this movie? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, my answer to this one is very succinct. Not only will I recommend it, I'll recommend it to my mom today. <laughs> Thank you.
1: That's sweet.
2: Now, before we wrap this up entirely, Hannah, we have to talk about the sequel setup.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. 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 Yes, the Patrick O'Brien book club.
2: Yes, I'm not familiar with Patrick O'Brien. Who is Patrick O'Brien?
1: He wrote The Master and Commander. Oh. <laughs> there are like 25 of them. <laughs> I have read one. They are the densest, most technical <laughs> books I have ever read. There will be like 10 pages straight about raising the sales. And- it is un excuse my language here, unreadable.
2: (laughs) But are these books, were they from that era or are they contemporary books?
1: They are more contemporary books. Um, Patrick O'Brien died like maybe in 2005 or something. Like they're set in the like Austinite period, Mm. uh, but they are not written contemporarily. But it is literally like if they are really choosing to commit to 25 master and commander books, like, they're gonna hate it, and they're definitely like, if Jane Austen is "quote unquote" girl books, Patrick O'Brien is full-on boy books, and now they got enough boys in the book club, I guess they're taking over.
0: I mean, but the 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 structure of their and let me go back to the Wikipedia page. The structure of their hold on multi-title book <laughs> discussion club is is such that the sequel then needs to have. 25 main cast members.
1: It's 20. I'm sorry. I'm So you're you're basically saying this is a
2: a Soderbergh-esque universe where every film we're going to add a new person to the main cast.
0: Well, they have to add like 15 because they need to have one character per book so that that person can present the book.
2: Yeah, I was so surprised that now, knowing that that's the Master and Commander author, that it was not you know, the Brontes next. Or even... I don't know anything of that era, anything more contemporary, with a small kind of bibliography, but I think you're right. Having all the testosterone shoved into the book club by the end of it, it must, it must be them sort of overwhelming, though the women <laughs> clearly don't know who Patrick O'Brien is because they're just like, let's do it. 20 books. I'm, <laughs> I'm down
1: for it. <laughs> but I mean, like by the end of the Jane Austen book club, they're like, boy, I wish there were more books because we're having a good time here with each other, actually. So I understand wanting to read a 20 book series, but like guys, not this one. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll love it. Maybe if, if you like Jane Austen's writing, maybe you like Patrick O'Brien's writing. I don't like either. So maybe I'm not the person to say.
2: It's tough. There's not as many movies to watch because
0: they only made <sighs> tragedy.
1: one. Tragedy of tragedy. Do, do Another you... thing where I'm like, that movie rules found the book totally unreadable.
0: <laughs> do you guys remember when Jack, uh, Pacone and I were, is it Pacone? I
1: don't
0: know. Okay. Do you remember when Jack and I were texting about Master and Commander on the chain? No. So there's like two things that happen in Master and Commander that are sort of easily confused in reference, which is that, I'm talking about the movie, um, which is that uh, Russell Crowe is given a little model of the enemy ship as if to be like okay, and this is what the enemy ship looks like. I saw it in a harbor once, so this will give you sort of a tactical edge. And then the other thing is that at one point when an enemy ship is firing upon them, they build a little fake ship that a guy rides on that just looks like the back of a ship so that they'll fire at that instead of the real boat. And (laughs) I'm watching Master and Commander for the first time and Jack just texts the group chain and he goes, Oh, the thing with the tiny ship is absolutely brilliant. Meaning the one where they're dodging the cannonballs. And I'm just looking at Russell Crowe holding a toy. And I was like, Jack has terrible taste. <laughs> and I keep waiting for this, this tiny boat to pay off in a massive way in the plot. <laughs> but I, of course, discovered that Jack is actually quite smart. So... Mm-hmm.
1: I do hope that in the Patrick O'Brien book club, the sequel to the Jane Austen book club, they have that exact same conversation.
0: <laughs> the tiny chip. It is would make brilliant. sense that it
2: would take them fourteen years to make a sequel because it will take them fourteen <laughs> years to read those books.
0: Yeah. Should I should I outro us friends? Go for it.
1: I guess so. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to the first bonus episode of the authorized. Podcast. You know, we always appreciate your ears. Have a wonderful night.